Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Today on Thruple Talk, we are thrilled to have Katie Ziskind from Wisdom Within Counseling and Coaching talking to us about purity culture and its impacts on non-monogamous relationships. I have shared before how deeply indoctrinated I was by purity culture, but even if you didn't buy into it as hook, line, and sinker as I did, it deeply impacts a lot of us in ways we don't even understand. And so, Katie, we are so excited to have you here talking to us today and sharing your expertise on on all of this and how it impacts us. So thank you. Welcome. And uh, can you tell us, give us a little introduction? Yeah, I'm so excited to be here with you guys. It's such an honor to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm a relationship coach and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and I help couples, uh, non-monogamous, polyamorous, um, all different types of couples develop a secure emotional bond, um, really work on things like talking about childhood pieces and connect in a vulnerable way, and also improve sexual intimacy, affection, and touch, as well as rebuild desire. Awesome. Now, can you That's talk? Amazing. Yeah. Can you talk to us? Let's start with talking about how purity culture impacts us, maybe in ways that we don't even realize, especially for those of us who do want to have non-monogamous relationships um, and some of the mental barriers and things that we might have that we just don't even recognize. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a beautiful point. It's such a great um, talking point because a lot of us, without even realizing it, are raised in a really strict conservative and religious upbringing. So we have messaging from a really young age, you know, around sexuality, around relationship structure. Um, So a lot of times we're told, um, hey, like you're not allowed to have sex before marriage. And inherently in that is a monogamous marriage messaging, Mm -hmm. Um, or we have to get married, or we need another person to complete us. Um, A lot of times there's fear of, you know, in some really strict cultures, even holding someone's hand can make you feel ostracized. You could be publicly humiliated Um, You could be an outcast from your church, your group, your community. Um, There are fear-based messages around masturbation. We often learn that sex is taboo, that you shouldn't talk about it, that it's only for having children. It's it can't be a recreational hobby, you know, it's <laughs> religious upbringing when it, it can be a wonderful recreational hobby. Um, but we don't get education around body consent. We don't get education around alternative or different types of love that we can have mm-hmm. um, or different, you know, versions of ourselves that we can be with different people. Um, and a lot of times when you grow up in a strict conservative religious upbringing, sometimes people will turn to pornography for sex education because everything is considered taboo or dirty. Um, And so, you know, porn doesn't show, you know, it can be erotic and it can be a wonderful tool, but it doesn't show adequate foreplay for the female pleasure system. And porn doesn't really teach verbal and emotional communication skills around sex or love. 
Um, but especially around, you know, this very heavy monogamous messaging, we are told, you know, from very early adolescent ages and teen years that this is the one quote unquote right way, or if you're different, it's not normal. So a lot of times I, when I work with people, it's like, we're redefining normal. Normal is just a setting on a dishwasher. There's no such thing (laughs) as normal. Um, you can, you can create and co-create with your partners what works for you all. Um, but yeah, strict religious conservative upbringings can play a role even in sexual expression. There can be a, a lot of sexual performance anxiety, sexual pain, um, you know, sometimes too in a strict religious and conservative upbringing, there's um, sometimes unwanted touch that occurs and then there's blame put on the person. So maybe, you know, they get told it was your fault. You were wearing too short of a skirt or your shirt was too low cut or you were the distraction. And so there's this inherent blame that is kind of fed in. So we have fear, shame, guilt, um, that can sometimes come, not for everyone, but for a lot of us, you know, we're learning about this as we develop our adult self. And, um, you know, even with a trusted, safe, you know, throuple or quad or people that you are intimate with, there can be feelings that get in the way of enjoying those relationships and enjoying pleasure of shame and guilt. So, you know, a strict conservative religious upbringing can also, you know, make someone doubt that sexual fantasies are okay or make them think that, you know, they don't get to have a voice during sexual experiences or don't get to have a voice even in a relationship um, when everyone can have a voice together. And sometimes there can be cycles of sexual avoidance or sexual rejection on an internal level. And then that shows up within the relational dynamic. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, I think this is a great topic (laughs) (laughs) for me. Um, it was so deeply ingrained in me, which this has been a recent revelation, like within the last month that I realized that I never really saw my sexuality as something that even belonged to me. It was like, I, you know, being raised in the church, it was, it was God's, you know, it was something that was very, it was very spiritual. And then before I got married, my dad was like the the protector of that. And then when I got married, it was my husband that was the protector of that. And then even as I transitioned out of the church and let go of those um, religious beliefs, the sexual um, the sexual ownership was something that was still like it was so deeply ingrained and subconscious that I just didn't even think about it, didn't even realize like, oh my gosh, like this is something that I never even really tried to control. And then also you have that female sexuality is shameful and dangerous. Like women that are sexual and turn heads, well, they're causing men to stumble and that that could ruin homes and, you know, break up families. So you have all this stuff that's like, even if it's not, even if there's no truth to it, it's so deeply ingrained that you still behave as if it is true. So right. like just unwiring that is like, it's such a, a process. There was a lot of responsibility yeah. put on the men though, too. It's like, you were like, you were told you're supposed to protect her heart. And if she's trying to dress like that, that's your fault. You know, mm. you aren't leading her. Uh, yeah. So it, I think it went both ways. Like every, we all got it. If you grew up with the church, you know, yeah. and, uh, a girl dressed provocatively, 
or, you know, the wife of somebody. It's like, it was, everybody looked at him like, mm. why, how did you let your wife do that? You, you're you're right. not the spiritual leader of your home, obviously. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. hearing somebody talking the other day, like they're uh, in an open relationship and they were saying like they went out and some man asked her husband if he could kiss her. Like, who am I? Like, do I not have my own right. voice? Like, what is this world we're living in? What if she didn't want to? Uh, yeah. That wasn't important. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honey, men are talking. <laughs> making a deal right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was raised yeah, the same way, a very religious background. And even though in my home uh, we were very open, um, uh, I still had a lot of hangups when it came to sex, just because society around me was shaming women for being sexual in any way. Yeah, it's very true. We're not taught like this is your body, like no one should be touching your body. Yeah, and there's a lot of, you know, even if you walk into a church, a lot of times there are signs like you must be wearing a T-shirt or you cannot wear tank tops in this <laughs> right. real thing. Yeah. Or, right, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I was raised uh, 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 Orthodox and they are very uh, conservative. So you had to be well covered in church and wear like a headscarf and very, very strict. It seems like this, um, I'm curious, this seems like a new phenomenon. Like we, if you grew up in the 90s, you were a 90s youth group kid. You read the Josh Harris book, yeah. I guess, Dating Goodbye. And uh, so this seems like our new, uh, ever since that book Pure came out. Um, what's the name of the, the author of that book? Linda K. Klein. I think yeah. she kind of brought it to light, right? When she started realizing we all had the exact same problems. Yeah, I think, I don't know if she was the first, but one of the first to really start going around and interviewing women and finding out what the experiences were and just finding like all these commonalities with women, especially all over the U S um, just all these same mindsets and messages. And yeah, whether you were reading, I kiss dating goodbye or all the other ones like um, boy meets girl. And uh, what was the Elizabeth Elliot um, passion and purity, like all these things that we were all reading and hearing all these messages. And yeah, it's just, it's crazy to hear the, the wide variety of um, backgrounds that all have the same underlying messaging. And we so recently we started interviewing throuples all across the country. And well, this one commonality kept coming up. At least one person in each one of these throuples mm -hmm. seems to have been raised in an ultra conservative environment. Mm -hmm. And they have some, you know, something with the purity culture. And we're yeah. like, what is going on? We got to start digging deeper on this. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, a, a lot of our childhood experiences play such a huge role in our values and, you know, it's only, and it's hard too. sometimes, you know, with people I work with, it's like that culture, that religion is like a memory tied to like their grandparent or like these very, you know, these religious leaders in their life. But then it's also like, well, what, what is this serving you? How can we kind of redefine what culture means or redefine what religion means or like, take the good and then start to give you something that actually serves you and being your authentic self. Yeah. I think I, a lot of times, Oh yeah, go on. I recently, I think it was in the book pure. I learned about religious trauma syndrome. Um, it's my understanding. This is a condition that was discovered fairly recently. Um, what do you know about it so far? And can you explain some of its causes and symptoms? Yeah. So religious trauma syndrome, I mean, we can have, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder 
develop from different experiences. We have big T trauma and little T trauma, you know, but a lot of times the body will go into a state of fight, flight, or freeze. So, um, you know, sometimes we see like fight as being kind of that, you know, more of a conflict, a verbal conflict. We see flight being like leaving or, this, you know, withdrawing and then freeze is sometimes what occurs in the sexual experience where, um, you know, it's like that raccoon in headlights. Mm. Um, there is an inherent like disembodiment because of purity culture and strict religious upbringing messaging. So there's fear, there's shame, there's guilt. And that fear response is kind of ingrained in the body from a young age. So let's say someone's told like, you know, it's a, it's a sin. You're going to go to hell if you have sex before marriage. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're, you know, won't even be a member of this family anymore if you do that. Right. And someone does that. And then, you know, there is this fear inherently held within the body and the nervous system tied to that messaging and that belief. Um, so that freeze response can kick in. There can be body pain. There can be, you know, mental anguish, but it can create a fight, flight, freeze response that, you know, we kind of have to unpack and we have to work through. And, you know, there can be trauma, belief-oriented trauma, but then also physical, like unwanted touch, like sexual trauma that can occur too. And it kind of gets swept under the rug or dismissed entirely. Yeah. I didn't even realize that I was even carrying any shame because cognitively, I always knew that sex within marriage was a good thing. And I, you know, I was, I was the epitome of the good girl. I waited until I got married, all that. So I knew that it was good, but the female sexuality as a whole was so deeply ingrained as something bad that for like 15 years, I had the, the vaginismus and I had like significant trouble ever climaxing up until just a couple years ago. And I had no idea where these problems were even coming from. And then now as I'm unpacking it all, it's like, like, I feel like, like, honestly, like a piece of shit, like even suggesting that I have any trauma because I was raised in a home where I felt loved. I felt safe. Like, you know, my parents did taught me everything that they still to this day believe is right. It's like to say like, oh, I had a tra- any kind of a traumatic childhood seems like, <laughs> like, I don't know. It just seems like not right and doing an injustice to people who were truly abused. But at the same time, it's like, all right, well, I had these physical things in my body for all these years over an area that should be full of just nothing but pleasure and intimacy and all this like so there's something to be said for all right there's clearly there is some sort of like you said like a little t trauma at least so yeah how do we recognize that and fix that and move beyond this and not carry not let it carry on to the next generations (laughs) right i mean i love what you shared like that's so beautiful and so vulnerable that you're sharing that i mean that story is so common and you know, like we can have awesome parents who were attentive academically, but they just fell off the wagon when it came to talking about sex or consent or, you know, how to use protection or all of these things. And, you know, a lot of times I think too, in a strict conservative and religious upbringing, like you said, uh, females are kind of often, whether it's openly discussed or taught, or it's more ingrained and kind of subtle, women are taught kind of in this more traditional role to give and be in a you know, obey, obey your husband or, you know, give sex whenever he wants it. And, you know, there's also this kind of forfeit of female pleasure that occurs. And so there's like that obedience element to it, which, you know, sex becomes a duty, right? 
Yes. Yeah. It becomes a duty, becomes a chore. Yes. And then there's this avoidant, disconnected cycle where, where why are we, you know, yeah. So someone, usually females, don't feel pleasure. They're uncomfortable. They're doing it out of obligation mm-hmm. and duty. And then they don't want to have it. It doesn't feel good. So we kind of restore that through sex positive education and yeah. empowerment. For me, it was so confusing because like I did, like Josh is like an amazing an amazing lover. Like he's generous and he's curious. Like he spent all this time, like what feels good to you? Like what, it, yeah, like we're trying all these toys and he's trying to get me to think about things and communicate. And I just, I, I couldn't do it. Like no matter how hard I tried. And then eventually actually after we opened up, um, I talked to the first woman actually we ever had a three-way with, she told me that she was just like me only like a year or two before that. She's like, I never used to climax from penetration. And then I had this, like she had a session with a tantric uh, woman and she helped her with like the, I guess the muscle, all the internal muscles. And so eventually we, we hired somebody that came and helped me and it still was like another like year or two, but yeah, they're like, okay, so you have like all this muscle atrophy, like all these nerves are just like either not receiving anything or they're receiving what should be pleasure as pain. Like once I realized that, like that was the turning point for me. It was like, I'm literally like receiving like this, these sensations and having to tell my body, like, this isn't pain. This is pleasure. This isn't pain. This is pleasure. And then it was amazing. It was like, like a light switch. Like eventually it didn't take that long. Once I realized that to actually my body finally started receiving it as pleasure. It was like, boom, like just night and day difference. But the fact that that, that shame could go that deep and affect it that significantly is just like, it's, it's mind boggling. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I mean, that is so beautiful that you wanted to kind of experience pleasure. And it sometimes takes like having guides or having support or like having someone else that kind of helps you be like, yeah, you can do this too. And yeah, yeah, our thoughts, like beliefs, the way we think about our own body and our own sexuality can really affect pain, pain responses. Like we're kind of oftentimes trained from a really young age to see being sexually expressive or putting on that erotic hat, so to speak, you know, stepping out of parenting or stepping out of paying the bills or building a career as like dirty. And so we have to kind of take that taboo label off and be like, this is a beautiful part of who you are, like being an erotic sexual being and exploring pleasure. And, you know, it takes time. Sometimes positive affirmations can be really helpful. You know, I deserve pleasure. This is a very normal and healthy version of myself. So in your working with clients who are non-monogamous, how do you see the shame and sexual shame especially play out in those uh, in those relationships? Yeah, so I think in particular, non-monogamous couples like are doing a great thing trailblazing, right? Like there's almost this awesome culture where we have to like team up and be like, 
this is healthy. This is awesome. And um, non-monogamous couples, I think, you know, they're, they're amazing. And, but it's like, we almost have to find our own community because it is a very, you know, tricky thing. You know, some of the couples that I work with aren't out to certain members of their family mm-hmm. um, because they do face, you know, a parent cutting them out or being estranged or judgment and criticism. So I think there is that inherent element of like, this is special to us, you know, that the couple units that I call it the couple bubble. So the couple bubble is like (laughs) this invisible boundary around, you know, the couple and um, however many people are in the couple unit. Um, And it can be really strong through emotional bonding and security techniques. And it can also be really weak. But I think there's a sense a lot of times throuples or non-monogamous couples or polyamorous couples like almost kind of want to protect themselves and shield themselves yeah, from family members that may just totally not get it. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, it is very disorienting. Um, and I don't know if you can speak to this at all with in your working with clients or just your training. But for me, I know it was very, very disorienting to not only pull away from the religion, but then consciously stepping into the non-monogamous realm and knowing that this is the relationship structure I wanted, but knowing that that's also leaving behind like really the whole community that I had had forever. Like I knew certain family members would not ever accept it. Like even if they are still, you know, on the surface, like, oh, well, we love you. Like it's still, it changes those relationships forever. So yeah, it's, I don't know. Can you speak to that at all and how, how disorienting that is and how to kind of move past that? Yeah. Yeah. It's really tricky. So I do a lot of like family estrangement work and cutoffs and distance. It's a huge thing. You know, it's, it's really tricky. I love that you talked about that intersectionality between both, you know, this religious strict upbringing and kind of that value system that certain family members or even friends may have, you know, you may have friends that you've been really great friends with for 12, 15 years, but then, you know, you're exploring a different relationship structure, loving multiple people and for them, their own shame, their own guilt, their own monogamous heavy culture just prevents them from being able to be a good friend. But yeah, it's really hard. You know, holidays can be tough. Um, you know, a lot of times families have ingrained religious culture from that's passed down. And so it's really hard when, you know, you want to be accepted and you want to be that family member that, you know, your aunts and uncles you've grown up with for years and it can be really hard right we we actually spoke uh we spoke about that like uh having when you're going through a hard time um coming out to family and friends when they don't accept you the power of building a chosen family Mm -hmm. like surrounding yourself with people that get you yes and actually we just launched a facebook group um called the uh throuple talks connection hub um, specifically for especially throuples um, or those who want to be in throuples uh, just to kind of connect and yeah start right. start building that chosen family even if we're we're all spread out across the world but just having people that you can talk to about stuff right. like this yeah provide community and knowing support. you're not alone yeah yeah knowing yeah, there's others facebook out there Facebook groups can be amazing yeah facebook groups can be so supportive yeah. but yeah the idea of chosen family is awesome i think all of us kind of have our chosen friends and family and you know sometimes even biological family members are not 
not that close and pets can also be a part of your chosen family. Yep. <laughs> that is something. Another another com commonality that a lot of throuples have pets. They, they love pets. <laughs> That's a <the> thing. <laughs> yeah, the love, the love, all the love. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think too, a piece of growing up in a strict religious and conservative upbringing, um, you know, like you talked about, Shar, is really getting back in touch with a healthy, connected, authentic sexuality, especially for um, vulva owners or uh, females and maybe even for penis owners too. Um, but really gaining education, like females need, you know, 45 to 90 minutes of foreplay, you know, um, a man or a penis owner really only needs like five to eight minutes. So, you know, if, if partners just don't have sex positive education, you know, their pleasure is like kind of out the window. It becomes that, that thing that people are avoiding or not knowing how to connect with themselves in that way. So yeah, there's the sexuality piece and then the relationship structure piece. Right. And just the fact that uh, uh, the biggest thing that I have discovered sexually is that most women don't think they can have an orgasm. Mm -hmm. They don't think that they can appreciate like uh, sexual pleasure and they don't even try. They stop trying just because the knowledge isn't there. And once you tell them, no, you can do it as well. Something like it just shifts in their mind and all of a sudden they start <laughs> trying and they do succeed, most of them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah th th that's where that, the like... education comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah, it, we're not taught this. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely that way for me. It was like, I thought that was a, a part of me that I just didn't have. And I'm hearing also from doctors and stuff saying like, oh, well, you know, the vast majority of women, I don't remember what the percentage is, but it's this very small percentage of women that do climax from penetration. Like, oh, okay, well, I'm just one of those. I'm not even going to try, right? That, that that doesn't happen for <laughs> like that makes sense because it's never happened. And, and then yeah. once I found out like, okay, no, like, every woman does have this capacity like oh like okay so the basically like the my analogy is the light switch is turned off so I just had to figure out like where is this light switch located yeah. and then boom it was like and then once it was on <laughs> it was on forever like you you can always find it again so yeah that's it's something that the messaging and I guess just overall female sexuality is so misunderstood there's a book I haven't read yet um called untrue by dr wednesday i think it's wednesday martin um and she's been like researching all this stuff for years um i think she wrote uh, i think it was a new york bestseller also called the primates on fifth avenue or something like that um the books that i want to read that like debunking all these myths about female sexuality it's like oh my god i'm so glad people are finally looking at this and talking about this because I think it's everywhere you look you just you see so many people that are sexually frustrated and it's coming across in all of our relationships and just everywhere like everything will be so much better if everybody's just having <laughs> having know. the orgasms that we all <laughs> deserve <laughs> the sexual energy yeah. Yeah. make love not war right yeah. yes, yes that's always a joke what's wrong with her yeah she probably needs, needs to get late she needs to get late <laughs> <laughs> true i mean you think about it on like a chemical level like your brain when you experience pleasure and you have a supportive caring knowledgeable generous partner or partners right you have oxytocin that gets elevated in your brain that's your cuddle hormone and oxytocin literally like relieves pain like you know it's a pain reliever there's serotonin there's dopamine 
More cuddles, you hear that? <laughs> I love cuddles. I'm always like, I want more. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best. And even like studies have shown like non-sexual forms of touch, like holding hands will lower your heart rate. Hmm. So there have been studies where like, you know, if there's some sort of pain, having a secure bond with your partners, an emotionally close bond, touching, holding hands, you know, having your partner's hand on your leg or sitting on their lap or whatever, um, that can make whatever you're going through emotionally or physically less, less painful. Hmm. So it's really incredible, like touch, affection. And I think too, in a strict conservative religious upbringing, like we often see parents that don't kiss or don't hold hands Mm -hmm. or like lack of affection is normalized. So then we're not only dealing with sexual shame, guilt, and fear, we are disconnected from our bodies Mm -hmm. and then we don't even realize it's okay. Like a lot of people feel embarrassed, like kissing in public. Right. Okay. Well, let's work through this a little bit. Like, you know, there's so much shame around expressing love in a public way. And it's a lot of times, you know, it's, it's not normalized from a young age. And like, if we're under that mindset of sex is for making a baby from a religious upbringing, like, we, a lot of people skip over giving and receiving oral sex because mm-hmm. that doesn't make a baby, but mm-hmm. that is a beautiful part of a sexual experience. Yeah. And just uh, yeah. sexualizing any type of touch, like you're saying, like if you're hugging and kissing, it's not sexual. It's just love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Long hugs, I think, are so important. You know, a lot of times, too, um, on the more sex and intimacy side, couples are, you know, throuples, quads, there's this beautiful step, you know, I think when we're talking about non-monogamous relationships, I think people and individuals are like more interested in talking about sex in a positive way. I think that's a great thing. But even before that, I think a lot of times we're, you know, without knowledge, right? It's we're kissing for three minutes and then we go right to penetrative sex. And it's this really unpleasurable, there's no sexual satisfaction for a female partner, but there's also a lot of you know, just it's quick, it's done. I talk a lot about aftercare too um, and how important that is like cuddling and touching and caressing, talking, you know, that that aftercare is something that people aren't taught about and that yeah. can um, really improve bonding and security. So education is so great. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any recommendations for resources on that? On aftercare? Uh, aftercare um, and just the, the bonding... And I don't know, I guess just the, everything we're talking about here, really. <laughs> yeah. So I love, um, so I'm like Gottman trained, Sue Johnson, emotionally focused couples therapy. I love Dr. Tammy Nelson. Um, she's very much in the sex therapy world. Um, but in terms of emotional vulnerability and talking about these things, like I think um, Sue Johnson, she does emotionally focused couples therapy and she talks about like expressing needs. And, you know, a lot of times sex for different people means different things. Like for one person, sex could be, you know, I feel really safe and reassured for another person. Sex could be, I feel great pleasure. And this is so playful. And this, there is a different need that's, you know, comes from that. Um, Dr. Tammy Nelson is great when it comes to broadening the conversation around non-monogamy and polyamory and just, you know, making sex something that we can talk about. Like, just like, you know, we talk about paying the mortgage or talking about daycare for the kids. It's like, we want to talk about sex and 
what do you like? What are your fantasies? What haven't you tried that you've always wanted to try that's on your bucket list? You know, and I think that can evolve into non-monogamy as well. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I know for me, like I was raised in the in the culture I was raised in, I really wasn't even ever allowed to have any needs or desires. Like that was seen as something that was selfish and you should only be thinking about Jesus and what you can do for the kingdom of God. <laughs> and, you know, it's all about selflessness. And like, it, it was so frustrating for Josh for years. It's like, what do, <laughs> what do you want? What do you like? What do you need? And it's like, well, I don't know. I, I don't need anything. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> No, and then it's just giving myself the permission, you know, to to finally actually look at that. Like, who am I really? What do I need? What do I want? Like, but I I also I think there's also a lot of fear, uh, at least uh, where what I'm thinking. Like, even if my partner asks me, "What do you want?" I would still be scared of really speaking up because what if they don't like me anymore? When I'm going to tell them something that maybe they don't like, and they think, "Oh, really?" Yeah. Or what should I want? What What should I, what do you want me to want? You know, that's going to be okay with you. So you can still love me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful point that both of you are talking about. Like, you know, and that kind of comes into kinks and BDSM and sexual fantasies and, you know, letting go of our own judgment. I do think a strict conservative upbringing can lead to a lot of judgment around, you know, kind of what's normal. Mm -hmm. And then like, you know, we even have an inner judge, right? A lot of people have internal shame and guilt around trying certain things or, you know, for, for some people, it's like using a sex toy. They're really afraid to use a sex toy because it means they're, you know, their partner's inadequate or they're cheating or they're, you know, there's all these negative messaging or they'll never be able to orgasm from a human ever again if they use a sex toy. And Mm -hmm. so like, there are all these bite-sized things that, you know, we're told. So it's like, you know, go to a sex shop, buy the sex toys, try it out. They're different sensations, right? These are just different ways of getting connected and getting embodied and being in tune with yourself. And, you know, I think culture too puts a lot of pressure on people, you know, to, to do what's publicly acceptable. Right. And so this is like connecting to yourself in a way that's unique. You know, it's like, um, you know, if, if, if someone wants to get more connected to their sexuality, like self-pleasure is a wonderful thing, but it means making time for it, right? Maybe leaving work a little early, maybe putting the kids to bed early, mm-hmm. like setting aside two hours, massaging your body with oil, like doing a self-massage, like finding your own erogenous zone. Yep. I mean, like I really love this area of my body, <laughs> caress and kiss. And, you know, it really turns me on when, when, when I do this to myself and then I'd like for you to try it and yeah. Right. So there is that communication. So I, I, I have, uh, I've been always wondering, like, where is the disconnect when I was raised uh, fairly open in my family, but everyone around me, the society was not. And I never truly believed that sex is shameful. But that's one thing that I was believing. But then deep down inside, I've had shame related to sex. And there was something that I knew it wasn't wrong, but I still had it. It took me years, like even like recently, I still discovered little tidbits of shame connected to sex, even though I never believed it. So where is that? I never could understand where is that disconnect between how I think and how I feel. 
Like if you yeah, if you can give me some some uh, insight into that, I would really appreciate it. Yeah, there can be many pieces to that, and that's beautiful too. Like it's awesome that you were raised in an environment where sex was really talked about, and you felt good in your body and connected to yourself in that way. But there can be even the media, social media advertisements, right? We see very traditional, even commercials drug advertisements, all of these things are very, very culturally, you know, kind of putting uh, female sexuality on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I think too, there's also this piece of, you know, when we have certain sexual partners, right, we learn a lot about ourselves in relationships, right. And it can be a gift to have a sexual partner that sees you and is patient and reassures you and compliments you. But, Sometimes people have a sexual partner that is critical and tells them their body smells bad or there's trauma related to that that can be deeply internalized for years. You know, having a partner, like we all have bad breath in the morning, right? But like, I'm a big fan of like, you know, making out and kissing and affection and like we're humans. We have organic smells to us, but we're not always going to smell like mint, but it can be nice of a breath mint or whatever. But, you know, a lot of times people to like, if a partner says your breath smelled really bad, that can last with them for decades. Right. Or, you know, so we really have to talk about like complimenting each other. And so those things can play a role and, you know, sexual shame can also be from different messaging we've received just culturally and society wise. Right. So they're like, how I see it is like things that you're like uh, uh, wired, like it's a subliminal messaging. Like you don't even realize you're receiving it. And no matter what you think, they're still going to be in there. You're still going to have to fight them. Uh, even yeah. even in just choosing this relationship structure, even though like I'm not at all ashamed of this home or family, obviously, it's beautiful. It's exactly what I want and I choose. But knowing that other people outside this home would not see it the same way, and they do see it as something to be ashamed of. Sometimes in interacting with people, I feel ashamed of or like embarrassed to say anything because, oh, what if they're going to see this as something that's negative or what if they're going to judge me a different way, knowing that I don't I'm living a life that doesn't align with what they see as wholesome and acceptable. So just that. Yeah, we all want to be accepted, no matter like I see people like rebelling and it's just like in in the end, we just want to be accepted. So we're going to live our lives and through that, through that uh, prism. Yeah. Yeah, And I think there is that we all have that wanting to belong and wanting to have a community and, you know, knowing too that if let's say someone doesn't value your relationship structure, doesn't value you having choices and choosing a non-monogamous relationship style, like, you know, kind of, you get to decide the distance that you want to create with that person. Maybe they serve you on a smaller level. Maybe you start to attract other people that are more like you. You know, we're always evolving. You may have a friend that, you know, was a friend for a season. Maybe they were a friend for a short period of time. And then the true people, like, I think for all of us need to know that, like, your true friends will accept you no matter what, you know, will want to let you know how special you are in their life, like how meaningful and how much you matter. 
Yeah. And if people don't, then, you know, I think you deserve people that let you know how much you, you can kick. Matter, right? <laughs> What's the yeah. saying? If those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. <laughs> but that's easier yeah. said than done sometimes, <laughs> depending know. on how close, how close they are. So. It's true. It's hard. And so then I think it's just, you know, maybe it's certain conversation topics or knowing their triggers, developing that awareness of, you know, can we do this together? But then maybe, you know, it's hard. It is hard finding those boundaries, but the people who love and care about you will want you to be successful and support all forms of, you know, expression. Right. Yeah. And and I think that's something that a lot of us are coming to terms with as well. It's like, even if loved ones never really understand, the more that we come out there and we are open and honest and people see how loving and supportive our relationship is, the more they start to realize like, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't right for me, but maybe, maybe I was wrong to judge it as something that is not okay for anybody. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a beautiful thing. And, you know, sometimes it's hard when you feel criticized for a personal choice, such as a relationship style, you know, to not feel rejected, right? It's normal to feel rejected and it's normal to want to belong. It's okay to feel sad, but you know, responding to those people out of anger or like getting into that fight mode never really does any good. So just like you said, like showing them by leading by example, you know, and ideally relatives, friends can meet all your partners and have a wonderful, unique relationship with each of them. And, you know, there can be this sense of care and compassion that's passed around. Yes. So I have a question, uh, Katie, uh, for people that feel sexual shame and they want to take the first steps to deal with it. Do you have any tips or tricks, anything that they could do to get started on on the path, like maybe journaling or talking to someone or something that they can do like like on the spot, like to 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 make yeah. themselves uh, move on and feel better and move towards healing? Yeah, I mean, I think there is a beautiful piece to starting to gain awareness, right? So listening to material about, you know, sex positivity, um, gaining education, understanding like, you know, foreplay, understanding and owning that being like, I'm a vulva owner, I need 45 to 90 minutes of foreplay, looking at what foreplay might mean, you know, is it making out? Is it sending dirty texts? Is it watching pornography? Is it self-pleasure? Is there, you know, building that hype, building excitement? You know, sex can be a pleasurable, amazing, erotic experience. It can be liberating. It can be exciting, but sometimes we might have a thought that comes in that says, oh no, this is wrong, or you shouldn't be, you know, doing this thing, or, you know, there are these thoughts that come in. So we want to kind of notice them, work through them, you know, and noticing that fear response as well. So, you know, there, there are mental pieces, cognitive pieces to exploring sexuality. I think um, when I work with people that have like pain, right, penetrative sex can be painful when you've had um, like a beliefs that are fear-based and there's this clenching, like the whole nervous system like clenches down and um, it can make things really uncomfortable. So, you know, exploring fantasy is exploring that foreplay component, reading erotic books, reading erotic novels. Um, you know, I think, so I used to work with kids in therapy like six years ago and, you know, when they go through a death, 
we read a book about a dinosaur that had a family member that dies, right? So bibliotherapy is actually really evidence-based. Adults can do it too. When we read books about other characters, like even if it's a fantasy character, right? They're, you know, maybe there's like a, you know, a mystical or sci-fi element to it. Like whatever genre, like read erotic novels, like they might turn you on. You can start to develop confidence. You can start to explore, you know, their erotic novel podcasts, like audiobooks and mm-hmm. Um, you know, explore different parts of your body, you know, um, play with your breasts, play with your nipples for 20 minutes, see what that feels like, you know, what type of touch do you like? Do you like fingernails and scratching or do you like more of the fingertips and that softness of the fingertips? And, you know, I would definitely, if someone's exploring their sexuality incorporate self-pleasure, masturbation with no, uh, obligation to orgasm, but if it mm-hmm. happens, it may happen. <laughs> um, like I would, you know, think about it, like going to the gym, right? So if we're going to try to like, uh, develop muscles, we do need to do it uh, regularly and the mind and body connection to sex organs is the same way. So masturbating like two to three times a week, setting aside time, you know, preparing the mind, knowing that, you know, uh, if someone has a really high stress job, like they're going to need time to take off that hat and switch into an erotic space. So um, that self-pleasure experience can be a great way to understand what's, you know, you need on an individual level to develop that connection to your sexual side and kind of let it out. Um, Having a sense of emotional safety, emotional bonding and security with your partners is also really important. So if there is any criticism or there is a silent treatment, you know, we all get triggered sometimes. Um, But I think that if there is any stonewalling or defensiveness, it just starts not feeling good. Yelling's happening or these negative dysfunctional forms of communication. That's the fight, flight, freeze response kicking in. We're like, okay, something's not feeling good. So really work on building emotional safety and security. So, and that transfers into your sex life too. So with all your partners, it can be really helpful to have emotionally bonding conversations. So sharing your deeper fears and insecurities. So if there's anger or there's tension or yelling, there's usually a deeper need for reassurance, comfort, and security. So, Mm. you know, um, with couples that I um, see, there can sometimes be challenges even around one partner wanting more sex than the other. And instead of just, you know, shifting into this avoidant rejection cycle, we talk about like sex can be really comforting. Sex can let me know that I am still attractive to you, that you find me desirable. And we all want to be seen as desirable. We all want to be seen as attractive, especially from our significant others. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's this sense of, you know, uh, sexual activity is a sometimes a metaphor and has meaning of like, I want to work on us. I want us to grow together. Like I want to engage in this beautiful, amazing, pleasurable activity. So talking about what sex means. Um, and when I say sex, I mean so much more than penetrative sex, right? Yeah. Just sexual activity in general. Yeah. Nice. Um, so affirmations, like saying I deserve to receive pleasure. It's okay for me to be relaxing right now. Um, I think a lot of people have the ongoing to-do list that flies into their brain and that can really take them out of their body. So saying like, um, you know, I'm feeling your hands on my back. 
I'm feeling your lips on my clitoris. I'm feeling your hands touching my belly, right? I'm feeling all the things in the present moment. Naming those things out loud can be helpful. Um, Sometimes uh, medications can also have effects and side effects regarding sex drive and libido. Um, So always working with a prescriber to better understand your dose and never coming off anything cold turkey, but um, allergy medications can lead to vaginal dryness. Um, They kind of drive the mucus in all Mm -hmm. parts of the body. So using lubricants can be wonderful and pleasurable and um, everyone can try all different types of lube. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Um, but also SSRI medications or antidepressant medications can have side effects of low libido. So um, that can play a role in sometimes, um, you know, needing a little bit more foreplay. And I think a lot of times in our culture too, we have such a focus on penetrative sex, like penis and vagina sex being mm-hmm. this like end goal or what we're getting to. So like being able to have a voice, you know, saying like, Hey, like I need more foreplay or I'd love for you to give me a massage or, you know, I, I want to, don't want to end in that way. I just want to be able to take a shower naked with you and us wash each other's hair. All of us get here together and not have it necessarily end in the same way every single time. Mm -hmm. So you know, sexual activity and exploring relationships, love, right? It's a fun experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be something that we have to check off this list so then we can just go to bed or, you know, there's right. a, there's a sense of fun. I want you to think about it as a fun thing. Like it's a yeah. present moment, fun activity um, to explore. Giving it's an exploration. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, speaking of the exploration and kind of circling back to what you were saying about uh, reading erotica and stuff like that, I wanted to just note something that I've noticed in myself. Was like I tried that, the reading erotica, and I noticed that there were certain things that I would be reading, and I was like, oh no, like you know, it would turn me <laughs> off for some reason, and I w- later on I realized that sometimes I was doing that. Like, because there was something else, not necessarily that it's like, okay, this doesn't turn me on, but it was actually something related to shame. So once I realized that I kind of started re-exploring it and going back and reading things with a new set of eyes. And if I did read something that was like, like making me want to stop, it was like, I would kind of, I guess, just stop and look at, okay, why, why is this bothersome to me? Is this like some kind of a mental block that shouldn't actually be there? Or is it just that this just isn't something that turns me on? And sometimes it was, you know, sometimes it was one way or sometimes it was the other, but exploring that led to opening new things and breaking down some of those mental blocks. So yeah, I, I think I would say for any listeners out there who have been like, well, I've tried this, like, well, if you've tried it already and it didn't work, like maybe don't write it off forever or talk, yeah. talk to Katie and she can, she can help you. And Katie has a podcast also. What, what's the name of your podcast? Sex Katie? Positive Podcast. All yes. things love and yeah. intimacy. All yes. Things love and intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. And I love what we're talking about. I mean, it's, it is, you know, sometimes harder said than done, right? Like going to the bookstore, getting an erotic novel, like that can be a huge step, right? Mm-hmm. So little baby steps are, wonderful yes and then you do one-on-one coaching and Mm -hmm. couples coaching 
uh, Thruple Coaching yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then your yeah. website is wisdomwithinct.com. And we'll, we'll put all this info in the show notes as well. But. Yeah, I love working with um, couples of all kinds. Um, when partners are committed to growing together, it's such a beautiful experience. So um, it's such a pleasure to be able to help couples really build emotional security and talk about sex and slow it down and invite more pleasure right, through the safe container of relationships. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much, yeah. uh, so much room for growth. And it is one of those things that when you are working on yourself and working on your relationship, it really does just keep getting better and better. So. It does. Yeah. And it's like when you have beautiful relationships, um, it's almost like a renewable resource for mm-hmm. continuing to grow more love. And, you know, you can, you can have the safe space to use your imagination to explore fantasies and bring in elements of mystery and novelty and diversity and suspense. And it's like, you know, you get these special people in your life and you get to explore yourself. You get to explore their erogenous zones and their landscape and their body and, you know, there's also that mental intimacy piece that's really important for a lot of people. Awesome. Well, Katie, did you have anything else you wanted to share with us today before we wrap up? I wanted to say that if you are struggling with fear, shame, guilt, any anxiety related to your sexuality or sexual expression or sexual things that you like, um, it's really normal. You're not alone. (laughs) You know, a lot of times we... Um, you know, it takes, it takes time to connect to our sex life and our sexuality. And, you know, there can be many different pieces, you know, if you're, uh, struggling with sexual rejection or you have an avoidant partner, or you're wanting to open your relationship or it hasn't gone well, or you're trying to form a really close, secure throuple, like all of these things, you can have a range of human emotions, you know, <laughs> and there's normal emotions. You can laugh, you can cry, you can be yourself. You can express what you're feeling in a calm way. You can, you know, be your erotic, sexy self, and then you can go to work and be your professional self. <laughs> and it's okay to be all these different versions of you. And the most important thing is to you know, communicate and build that secure bond and and know that you're not alone if you're feeling a little bit shameful or anxious about who you are and your sexual side. Yes. That's great advice. Yes. yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Katie, it's been Thank such a pleasure. So yes. Awesome. Yes. And as I mentioned, we'll put all of Katie's contact information, including um, her Insta uh, handle and links to podcast and website and all of that in the show notes. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share our episodes with people just like yourselves. Please leave a comment and let us know what resonated most with you. And if you have any resources um, that you know about to help with this, please let us know and we can link it in the show notes as well. We'll see you next time.